Father, thank you for um, thank you for what you're doing in us, God. Such a sense of you're taking us deeper, you're taking us further, you're making us wilder. And we just want to pray even tonight as we uh, look at the scriptures together that you would by your spirit open them to us, Lord. That they'd be alive. That even as we read together, as we learn together from them, that we would see you, the one they point to. And that your presence would be in this place, God. And that even as we... Uh, just dig into the stuff that at the end of the day you would dig deep into us, God. Cause us to be changed by the power of your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Been a great weekend. I must say I'm tired. I feel like my spiritual ministry muscles haven't worked in a while because I've been on a long leave with MC's kidney transplant. So, uh, but uh, the Lord in my weakness, that's when he's stronger. Eh? So this is probably going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the title of tonight's preach is, This Is That. This Is That. And one of the things we felt as we came into this year and just trying to, you know, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to do? What do you want to say? Really felt the Lord speak to me that he wanted to uh, us to come into deeper times in his presence and to live from his presence, to live from that river flow. And then I felt the Lord whisper this to me and I felt him say to me, Andrew, and you've become too tame. And as a movement, you become a little bit too, I mean, tonight was wild in praise, but tame in just that sense of anything could happen, that God might break out in strange and weird ways. And I have a sense that there is something of the, the presence of God that he's wanting to bring into our times and our homes and our fellowship that would actually be, and I don't want to, I don't want to say what it'll look like, but I just feel there's something fresh and something new that God wants to do. I do want to caution Man, who's been through a move of God before? You've really seen God move in power. So the problem with that is, it's a good thing, but the problem with that is we often think, well, that's how God did it, so that's how he's going to do it again. And I really felt the Lord just say as well, don't put me in a box. Uh, I move as I move. And you've you got to listen and keep up with where I'm going. And so I don't, we're going to look at the scriptures together at what, when God moves, what does it look like? Um, and what does it look like in the Bible? Because one of the things that have happened on the day of Pentecost, you must understand this was a Jewish festival. We all know the day of Pentecost happened in Israel about 2,000 years ago in Judah, in Jerusalem. And a bunch of Jews had come from around the world to celebrate the Feast of Shavuot, which is really a celebration of the fact that Moses had, get, had gotten the law on that date. And also they planted crops. Actually, the day that Jesus died, they planted their crops. Um, and, um, and, and now there was a sense of those, those crops were bearing ho uh, full fruit. And so their first fruits were now going to be, or their, their harvest, their first of their harvest was going to be bought, brought to God as an offering. And so Jews had come from around the world. It was a normal festival that happened every year. They would come and they would do the same thing. And they'd worship God together in the same way. And then in the middle of that festival, the Holy Spirit was poured out powerfully. And uh, the, the response of the Jews was very much the response that we'll look at, we'll probably have too, whenever God moves. There's one of three ways that we respond when God moves, and we'll look at that in the scriptures just now. But Peter has to get up and try and explain what's going on, because everyone's a bit confused. And he says in the book of Acts 2 verse 16, we actually see his speech. I'm just going to take uh, this little part out. Peter gets up and he says, you know, everyone's confused. People look like they're drunk. What's going on? Are people drinking at night in the morning when they should be praying in a Jewish? And he, he gets up and he says this. Now, this is, we're not drunk as you suppose. And then he says this, but this, this thing that you're seeing, this thing that's happening right now in Jerusalem, this is that that the prophet Joel spoke about. This is that which God said he would do years ago. This is this is revealed in the scriptures, and it's being fulfilled in our day. And I believe that God brings us to this is that moments where we need to know what the Bible says, what God says in the scriptures, so that when God does a this, we can say, ah, oh, this is that. Otherwise, we get confused, we get dazed, we get, uh, and also we'll look at just now some of the responses that will happen. And so what I'm hoping to do is to prepare you for whatever God's going to do. And I don't know what it's going to be. I can't say it's going to come this way or that way. I just have a sense that there is something of a river rising. There's something of the presence of God that's coming in an increased way. And already we started to see pockets this morning. I heard last week already in Cape Town some of the congregations had real powerful, just something more of the presence of God and some of the things that go along with that. And so 
I want us to dig into our Bibles and maybe just, uh, I'm going to start off in the, in the book of Isaiah. And we can put it on, so long like Isaiah 49 from verse 8 to 12. And we're going to quickly look at the background to this because I think there's some beautiful things here that Isaiah is going to speak about. And they, they're things we can learn in our day. That aircon is glorious. I would just come to this church just for the aircon. <laughs> Sheesh. It's been so hot. But Isaiah, just to give you the background, was written uh, around probably around 790 BC before Christ. And uh, at the time, he was a prophet in Judah, which was obviously uh, really the people of God. And Judah, who was supposed to be devoted, God-loving people, a nation, a church that was devoted to God, were kind of a little bit compromised. They weren't living the way they should. They were still offering sacrifices, but... They were kind of half-hearted. They weren't devoted. And, and, is, and Judah was just not in a great space. And so Isaiah, if you go look at his prophecies, he's probably my favorite prophet. Much of his prophecy is there's terrible times coming. And it's going to get really difficult. And God's going to raise up a foreign heathen nation, the Babylonians. And they're going to come and they're going to take us captive. And that's the hard part of Isaiah. But then in the middle of that, Isaiah also starts to see. That God is not going to leave his people forever. In a sense, he'll discipline them, but then he's going to come to save them. And, and this is the second part. This is when he, he starts to speak about the Lord breaking into their reality to come and save them and set them free. And so he starts off and he says, thus saith the Lord. In the next, okay, this is a, probably an interesting translation. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor... We'll use the NIV. Sorry, I think she's stuck. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And I love that. In the time of my favor. In the time when I've decided, in the time when I've decided to come and save you, it's going to happen. And, and you know, this move of God that came, and, and as I begin to prophesy what God's going to do, it wasn't birthed in the prayer of the saints. It wasn't birthed in anguish. Oh God, bring us revival. It was just a time when God said, I'm going to come. And I think we need to realize that God comes when God comes and God does what God does. And yes, He loves it when we pray and sometimes He responds. But this is not the anguished souls of the saints crying out. This is just God saying, this is the time of my favor. I've decided I'm coming with favor to you. And then He says, are we back in the NIV? Thank you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. And there's a day for salvation to happen. There's a moment when God breaks in. I know we all wish it was yesterday. Maybe you're facing something as well. Thinking, Lord, when, how long? Well, there is a day of salvation. There is a day when God will break in. And then he says, um, I'll keep you and I'll make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. The land is going to be ravished. It's going to be overrun. It's going to, the people will lose their inheritances that God had assigned to them when Joshua had come in. These were familial inheritances that they would have. And those were all going to be lost. But God says, when I restore, I'll restore those things. And I'll even reassign desolate inheritances. And when the Lord moves in favor, you need to understand God portions out inheritance. He portions out things for his people. Sometimes it's a reassignment. Sometimes somebody had it and they lost it because of unfaithfulness. And the Lord takes that and he gives it to somebody else. He reassigns desolate, lost inheritances. To say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. And then he says, they will feed beside the roads and find pastures on every barren hill. In other words, the picture you've got now is Israel's dry, it hasn't had rain, the, 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 there's just nothing to eat. But when the Lord moves in favor, suddenly the hills are fertile. Suddenly there's food for everyone. Suddenly there's overflow in the house. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. And I'm going to dig into that springs of water. Because in this desert place where it's dry and it's arid, God is going to cause springs of water, springs of living water to begin to well up. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they'll come from afar, from the north, west, from the region of Aswan. So God says he's going to rally his people together out of captivity and they're going to come back into what he's got for them. But this thing of springs of water, and there's some beautiful things whenever God moves. There is a sense that where you've been in a prison, there's suddenly a freedom. When there is um, barrenness in your soul, suddenly there is an overwhelming life. There are springs of living water. And uh, I was thinking about springs of water because uh, Isaiah said it was going to happen. 
And then a while after him, uh, a prophet called Ezekiel emerged. And Ezekiel was a young man who, when the, the bad stuff happened that Isaiah prophesied happened, and, and Judah was overrun by their enemies, Ezekiel is one of the young men taken into captivity. And so they've lost, they're in the first part of that prophecy, desolate inheritances. They, they're literally prisoners in a strange land. And Ezekiel, in the fifth year, of the captivity. He's been five years in Babylon, far from his nation, far from the temple, far from where God has been. Ezekiel one day is literally sitting by, the Bible tells us he's, he's standing at the Gabar River, which is a river in Babylon, and heaven opens. And the prophet, he gets called in that moment, and he sees some things. And we'll look at some of those things just now. It's actually quite funny when you look at what happened. It's actually amazing when God, what God did when he called Ezekiel. But he says this, In uh, Ezekiel 47 verse 5, he sees this river that's going to start to flow. He actually sees it pouring out of the temple. And he says it's going to go down the east part of the steps. And it's going to run down and flow out into, uh, you know, down towards the Dead Sea. And and he talks about this river that wherever it goes, it's going to bring life. Where there's deadness. Even the Dead Sea is salt. Nothing lives in that place. But when this river touches the deadest part of Israel... Life's going to start springing up. And he says, he measures off, uh, 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 he, he talks about measuring off different things. And it says in verse 5 of Ezekiel 47, the river starts knee deep. And he says it goes waist deep. And then it goes deeper than that. And then at one point he says in verse 5, but now it was a river that I could not cross. The water had risen and was deep enough to swim in it. A river that no one could cross. And God asked me, son of man, do you see this? And so this picture you've got is a river that starts knee deep, moves waist deep, and you can still stand in the river. In fact, I must be honest, today in George, I ministered there this morning, I would have loved a knee deep river because it was so hot. I would have stood there and just enjoyed splashing, waist deep. But at some point, this move of God is going to get so deep that no one can stand it anymore. In other words, you will not be able to be in your, you know, just you're going to be swept along with what God is doing. And uh, I love the story. We were in, in uh, if you go look at the day of Pentecost, it's an amazing picture of, um, <laughs> let me just see if I'm running ahead of myself. Ah, on the day of Pentecost, we mentioned it earlier, it's a Jewish festival, Shavuot. It's nine o'clock in the morning. So people often ask, where did the Holy Spirit get poured out? And the, a lot of people think it is in the upper room, but actually that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they were all together in one place. You've got to do a bit of, a bit of uh, detective work to work out where would they be when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And we know Peter tells us it was 9 o'clock in the morning. And we know that is a time of prayer. And we know that all the disciples were in Jerusalem where he had told them, Jesus told them to wait. And so 9 o'clock means every single Jew in the city of Jerusalem made their way to the temple because it is a time of prayer. And so you've got at this festival around 100,000 people meeting in this huge part of the temple. It's an open area called Solomon's Colonnade. And the believers come together, those that follow Jesus, they still think they're Jews. They're at the temple together in one place. And as they're standing there, the Holy Spirit comes with tongues of fire upon them. And they begin to speak. And uh, when they start to speak, they're overfilled with God, they start to speak. But when they speak, they're not speaking Aramaic or Greek, which is probably the language that they were speaking at, was their native tongue at this point. Hebrew had been lost. So they were speaking Aramaic and Greek. And at this point, but they're not speaking Aramaic and Greek in that moment. And you, you've got to imagine this. You know, somebody opens their mouth and, and says to their wife, and she's and it's and no one and it's a language that that person doesn't understand. And the husband responds, But what they don't realize is there are people there from around the world. The Jews have come for this festival, and they they hearing God speaking to them the mysteries of Christ in their own language. The Christians don't know what's happening at first. They obviously work out because they don't know. I'm speaking fluent Egyptian right now. They're just speaking. And as they speak, as the Spirit leads them, every, and, and so there's this confusion. You've got to imagine. I mean, it seems like everyone sort of saw some kind of weird fire coming upon this group in the middle of Solomon's colonnade. And then everyone gathers around them. What is the meaning of this? What's going on? And Peter has to get up and explain what happened? And it's interesting, the Bible starts off with the water pouring out the east part, out of the throne, down the east. Do you know where Solomon's colonnade is? It's on the east part of the temple. 
goes down the steps. And do you know where they were baptized? There's baptism fonts all around Solomon's Colette on the east side. That's where the early, the Holy Spirit's poured out, people are baptized there. But that river is going to go from knee deep. That's knee deep. It's going to go out, waist deep. It's going to get deeper and deeper until it transforms nations. It'll be a move of God. And it did. It transformed nations. But the response of the Jews is fascinating. And it's, it's really our response. Whenever God moves, there's, these are the responses. They're always the same. There's no difference. This is one of three responses. And I want us to see them in Acts 2, verse 12 to 13. This is what the Jews, before they, it all gets explained to them, you know, they watch this happen. They watch people. And remember, the Bible says this. Everyone thought they were drunk with wine. Peter actually says, we are not drunk with wine. We're good Jew, but Jewish boys, and this is a holy festival, and it's 9 o'clock in the morning. We have the time of prayer. We're not drunk as you suppose. Now, I have to ask you, what would make you think someone is drunk? What would they act like? How would they be acting that everyone thought these guys are drunk? And I have to say, have you ever seen a drunk party where everyone's drunk? People are not going, praise the Lord. There is a wildness to this. There is something that they don't understand. It is, it is a little bit out of control, a little bit messy, and everyone's a little bit, and we'll see what, what everyone is a little bit. This is what happens. The Bible says the Jews were amazed and perplexed. And they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. When God moves, it gets a little bit weird. And there's one of three responses. And I want to look at them, what they are. The first response is, uh, again, everyone has this response. What does this mean? In other words, we don't know how to place this. We don't know how to fit this. What is, what's going on? And so there's definitely a sense that when God moves, there's going to be questions. Everyone's going to have questions. Where, where is God and where is the flesh? Because normally when God moves, there's a little bit of humanity mixed in with it. We don't do anything perfect. So even when it's a full move of God, you're going to see some people who will actually manifest in the flesh. They'll do things that it's just them. And the danger is that we then cut off everything because, well, that person's in the flesh. But actually sometimes God is doing stuff while there's a measure of froth and flesh and bubble and things that there shouldn't be. But here's the three responses. Perplexed. The word in the Greek is diaporon. It's a very negative word. The Jews were perplexed. Uh, and and uh, the context here is this makes no sense. To give you an idea of how the word is used in other places, in Luke 24 verse 4, uh, the, 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 the women go to, the, to Jesus' body after he's been crucified. And he's been put in the tomb. And they go on the morning of the third day to go and really his body wasn't buried properly. It was a rush job. They want to do it better. And so they go to the temple. To the, uh, to the tomb where he's been buried. But when they get there, the stone is rolled away and the soldiers are gone who are supposed to be guarding it. And when they look inside, his body's not there. And they are perplexed. And, they, and you, you know, they, they don't know what is going on. And they ask, actually, they, they see an angel. They ask, did you, are you, did you take his body? We, we, we don't know what's going on. We're very confused right now. And so you've got this negative perplex. This is not making sense to us. I'm not comfortable with this. And the feeling that you would get, and this is how some of us will feel, I'm uncomfortable with this. This doesn't make any sense to me. I'm perplexed. When God moves, some of us are going to be perplexed. I don't understand. Where is this in the Bible? Okay. The second group, amazed. And the word is existemi in the Greek. It's a very positive word. And to give you an illustration again, in Luke, the first Luke I mentioned just now, the women are confused and perplexed. Where is his body? But just after that, two angels appear to them and say, hey, didn't he tell you that he's going to be raised from the dead? Why have you got so little faith? And so they believe and run to the apostles and start to tell them, we saw angels. He's raised from the dead. And there's faith. Now there's a sense of God's doing something. We don't fully get it, but God's doing something. And this is a very positive word. It seems right to us. And so now you've got a group of people that are really going, there's something of God in this. We don't fully get it, but we're amazed. God's doing something. Okay. You got perplexed. 
You've got amazed. I'm hoping to move all of you from perplexed and amazed to, to this is that. And then there's a third group. And this group scoffs. They mock. The word in the Greek is, I don't even know how to pronounce this word. So I won't try. And I don't even think Steve could pronounce this word. And, and, uh, it's, it's, the, word it, the word really means scoff, deride, jeer, ridicule, or rubbish something. This is rubbish. This is nonsense. What is going on? This is absolute twaddle. This is twak. Is that a bad word? It's not a bad word, eh? This is stuff in a cigarette. Okay. I suddenly thought, I used, every now and again you use a word preaching you don't normally use, and you think, oh, did I just say something bad? It's absolute rubbish. And they start to mock it. Oh, this is pathetic. And you know, whenever there's a move of God, you're going to find guys scoffing and mocking and deriding what this is. One of three groups. And again, I hope to move the scoffers and the perplexed towards the amazed side of things when the Lord moves. Now, again, don't throw your brains away. But also realize that God's bigger than your brain. So you've got to try and hold these tensions. Like we want to go to the Bible and see in the Bible What's it like when God moves? Peter got up and he said, this thing that you all freaked out by, this thing is that that Joel wrote about specifically. And so he could root what was happening in the scriptures. And so he could help the Jews understand and make the transition from perplexed to amazed. Almost like the angel had explained to the woman. So Peter's got to explain to Israel, this is that. And I feel what I, want, I need to do. In some ways, I'm preparing you for what's, I think, to come. And remember, Jesus did do that with the 12. They had an advantage because he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you in power. And he had breathed on them before. So when they were in Jerusalem and it happened, they already had a theology for, didn't he promise us this? Of course, this is God. But the rest of the Jews had no idea what was going on. They were just confused and dazed. And so I'm hoping to give you a theology so that when it comes, you can help your friends and maybe help yourself get through what God's doing. And so... Uh, some of the things that God is in, what we're going to do now is look at the Bible and see his, through the Bible when God has moved. And you know he's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That doesn't mean he always does everything exactly the same. But it does mean when we see it in Scripture, we know that it's possible that God might do that again. Okay. And when God moves in times of favor, we'll see, we, we, if we can find it in the Bible, we go, oh, okay, so that is, this is that. So if you're in a meeting and God starts to move, and, and you'll see just now what it might look like when God starts to move like this, you can go, ah, this is that. First thing I want to say is when God moves in power, people sometimes fall. In fact, on Sunday we prayed for elders, and one of the elders fell. And I heard there was an unsaved young man that had invited to the meeting. This was now at our gathering. And as we were praying for one of the elders, new elders, he fell under the presence of God. And the young man thought he was dying of a heart attack. He was perplexed. <laughs> and, and, and I need to say this. Guys, the internet is not your friend nowadays. I think there was a time that it was helpful, but it's really becoming more and more unhelpful. I mean, the amount of rubbish on the internet about almost every subject now is just ridiculous. And if you are looking with a negative lens, you will hear exactly what you want to hear. And, you'll, and you're going to get guys saying, I, I, I even remember this, being in moves of God before. If someone falls forward, then it's God. But if they fall backwards, then it's the devil. And, I, and there's whole philosophies and theologies that guys try and form on these silly, silly, silly things. So I want to show you that if you fall forwards or backwards, it can still be God in the Bible. Because again, you know, where in the Bible does it say, if you fall backwards, it's the devil? Anywhere? So did and, and, and there's just guys that are, sorry, but there's just oh, guys that are just doing their little internet vlogs about how this thing is actually, and I'm just like, they're so not helpful. In Ezekiel 3, Verse 2 to 3. Here we see Ezekiel, and it seems Ezekiel falls forward. So we'll look at that. Um, it says, So I got up and went out to the plain. And the so Ezekiel, remember, is a prophet that is at the Kabar River, and he has this, he sees the glory of God. Now you've got to understand, he's a, a Jewish boy in captivity. He's not expecting this. Israel's been overrun, and he sees the glory of God. And when he sees God, he, uh, the glory of God was standing there, like the glory I'd seen by the Kabar river 
So he has a second revelation, and he says, and I fell face down. Now, please understand, the word fell is quite key here. It wasn't a, a, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm bowing before you. It was, he fell face down. Okay, so sometimes when the Lord is there and you see his glory, it's almost as though humanity or human flesh can't take it. He is so big and so grand that your human flesh fails you and you fall. I'll show you a picture of someone falling down backwards in John 18 verse 6, just to clarify that. In John 18 verse 6, Jesus is about to be arrested to be crucified. And it's an amazing story because these temple gods are sent from the Jews to go and arrest him. And they, it's night, and, they, and Judas is leading them, and they come to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying. And they're trying to work out who he is because it's kind of dark. And so they're walking with torches, and then they see him, and they ask him, are you he? Are you Jesus? And Jesus says this. He actually says this. But it's, some translations say, I am he, but he actually says, I am. And I am is one of the names of God. He says, I am. And at that moment, the Bible tells us, when Jesus said, I am he or I am. They drew back. In other words, the revelation of God somehow, even though to arrest him, did something in them that made them draw back. Now these are guys with armed, they're weapons, they're soldiers, they're coming to arrest him. But when they see him, the I am, they, 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 they draw back and they fall to the ground. This is a backward moving fall. This is not a forward moving fall. This is a backward, ah! And they fall down onto the ground. The word is pipto in Greek. It's the same word used for when the young man is listening to Paul preach through the night, a long preach. And at one point he falls asleep in the window and he falls, he piptoes out the window and dies. Okay, so it's the same word. It's a falling that's beyond your control. You are falling. And in this case, in the drawing back, you're falling down. So you can fall backwards. In the revelation of Christ. Okay. One of the great reformers, and, and many would say, uh, who knows who Jonathan Edwards was? Jonathan Edwards was regarded by most of your Bible teaching Christians in America, certainly your Calvinist side, would say that Jonathan Edwards is the greatest theologian in the history of America. John Piper, who knows who he is? John Piper bases everything of his theology on Jonathan Edwards' teachings. So you're talking now about a man who's regarded today by Scotland, guys that are actually really grappling with Scripture, as the greatest theologian in the history of America. And Jonathan Edwards was part of what was called the Great Awakening. Contrary to popular opinion, America wasn't born a Christian nation because there's no such thing as a Christian nation. In fact, a lot of the founding fathers were actually heathen and weren't actually good people at all, if you go look at it. But just after America was born... There was a move of God called the Great Awakening. And Jonathan Edwards was one of the pioneers, one of the forerunners of the Great Awakening. And it brought about a revival that spread across much of America and really laid the foundations for what America now thinks is a Christian nation. It was a move of God. And he was at the front of it. And he said this about the revival um, of religion in Northampton. This is in about 1740. He said this, and I'm going to read from him. He's a serious scholar. He's not a, he's a, you go read his stuff, it's meaty stuff. He says, many have had their religious affections raised far beyond, remember it's old English, eh? so when he says religious affections, what is he saying? Their emotions. Far beyond what they have ever been before. And there were some instances of persons lying in a sort of trance, remaining perhaps for a whole 24 hours motionless with their senses locked up. But in the meantime, under strong imaginations, now he's using language, trying to, they're seeing strong visions. As though they went to heaven, and they had a vision of glorious and delightful objects. It was a very frequent thing to see outcries, people shouting, convulsions shaking, and such like, both with distress and also admiration and joy. It was not the manner here to hold meetings that ran all night, nor was it common to continue them till very late in the night, but it was pretty often so that there were some so affected and their bodies so overcome that they would not go home, but were obliged to stay all night where they were. I'm going to say Josh Jen, in some ways, was born in the move of God. And I'll tell you the background to it. As a younger, uh, when I was first saved out of drugs and occult, I had very, very powerful encounters with the Lord. I actually saw him. He appeared to me when he called me. 
I, I had a period of time where the Lord said to give me eyes to see in the spirit. And I, for six months, I saw in the spirit realm. I saw angels. I saw demons. I was used, you know, the police. We'd, we'd ghostbusted Satanists. And it was a very heady, powerful time. I saw what prayer did. I saw it with my eyes for six months. And then the Lord took me into a, a drought for two years. And in that two years, I did not hear the voice of God. I did not sense his presence. And it felt like God lived in China and I was stuck in Africa. And I was dying. I felt like I was dying inside. I thought I had sinned or I'd done something wrong, but I hadn't done any sin that I was aware of. But I was desperately hungry and thirsty for the presence of God. And no matter what I did, I couldn't find him for two years. My prayers felt like it bounced off the roof. But... And then we had a, a church camp in Jeffreys Bay. Pete, you would have been there. I don't think anyone else is here, but he was, he was at that camp. And we had a guy called Jeff Kiddle, who's actually now part of us. He wasn't then. Come up for that camp. And um, in that camp, Jeff got up and he started sharing that God's about to move. And then he just kind of said something. I mean, I'm going to paraphrase now. It's a long time. But it's something like, okay, just open your heart and receive. And of course, I've been thirsty for two years. I'm like, Lord, please, can I just have a, an inkling of your presence? Just an inkling of your touch. And God broke out in that meeting in power, a bit like what we just read. People began to fall and cry and groan. At one point, I looked across the hall and everyone was on the ground except me. They were flopping and crying and laughing and crawling and, and Andrew was standing there like this. I am so thirsty, God. Please, would you touch me with your presence? At one point, everyone, and the party went on for a long time. They were having a lot of fun. They were really like drunk with wine kind of vibe. And at one point, they all realized that I wasn't. And so guys started to crawl towards me because they couldn't walk from across the hall. And I was thinking, okay, God, this is your moment. Please, God, would you touch me? And they hung on me, and they prayed for me, and they did everything they thought they could do, and there was nothing. And at one point, I got offended at God. I got hurt. What if I, if I, why? why? Why didn't you, God, I, I put myself out there. I trusted you to touch me. Why? And I thought, well, fine. This was at Jeffreys Bay and I was a surfer and the waves were really good. So I walked out of the meeting, got in my car and I went surfing. And I felt a bit better about myself. <laughs> God didn't want to touch me. Fine. What I didn't realize is Dion and Kim Delpo had actually planted this church, were elders in that church. And I surfed for about three hours and came back to the camp. Meeting had obviously finished. And they were waiting at the entrance to the camp for me at the entrance. And if you know, Dion's, Dion's quite pastoral, but Kim's quite vus, eh? She's a... And I'll never forget um, just feeling like I was in his headmaster's office. And I remember Kim saying to me, grow up. So I came back, endured the rest of the weekend, and everyone was having a party, and I wasn't. But I was there. Came home and I was, to be honest, I was hurt. I was like, God, why? I, you, I'm, I put myself out there, why? And um, we had a bunch of friends coming around to our dinner, to our house one night. I was staying in a little, actually on a little horse farm. We had a big Wendy house, basically, that we lived in, a wooden Wendy house. And uh, a couple of friends were there. And so I had gone up the mountain just to spend time with the Lord or the hill. It's just a hill behind the farm. Mountain sounds so cool, but it's just a hill behind. Uh, I went up the mountain of the Lord. Yeah, it was just a hill. But I could see the house down below me. And I, as I was praying, I saw a vision. And it was the first thing I'd seen in two years. So I got quite excited. And in this vision, I saw what looked like a You know when a whirlwind forms? You sometimes get that wind that starts at, and then it starts coming down. And I saw a whirlwind of light appear over the house in the heavens. And then it started developing this little tail that came down. And it touched our house. I got very excited. I didn't know what that meant, but... I had a feeling this was a good thing. And I ran down the hill to the house. And when I got there, Julie Dalal was there, Milani was there, and a few other friends. And they were busy making dinner. And I ran in and I called them out of the kitchen. And I remember saying, guys, guys, you got to hear what I just saw. I mean, it is two years since I saw anything, so I'm really excited. And as, I, as they walked into the room, the presence of God hit me like a bus. It felt like a bus hit me. And I, I was literally thrown backwards. I, it felt like a bus hit me, seriously. I was thrown backwards, like, bah! And I lay down on the ground, 
fell on my back. And I literally, I started doing this. I didn't know what was going on. But there was something in the presence of God that was so strong. And I started, have you ever seen the lady give birth? Because that's kind of what I did. I was lying there going, I didn't know what was going on. But the fact that anything was going on and God was in it, I was okay. And that, that started to move. The Holy Spirit hit them just at that moment. And I'll never forget, they fell down and uh, the food just carried on bubbling away in the kitchen. And, and we were just on the floor, just, it looked like a machine gun had taken us all out. We were lying there. I was, shot, I was still alive and they looked dead. We were just, ah! and it was chaos. But that thing, that thing carried on for many months. And my house started to get more and more people coming to it. And um, eventually the elders realized God was doing something. And through that, I ended up, I wasn't leading a home group or anything. Through that, I eventually was brought onto eldership and uh, later was eventually sent down to go and plant the church. But this was, Josh Jen was born in that moment. I, I've often felt that what God birthed in me there birthed a movement. And today, 412 is a movement of hundreds of churches all over the world. Was it strange and perplexing? It was. But God was in it. <laughs> Another thing that happens when God moves is shaking. And I want you to imagine this. Because these are men, like, he's at the Gabar River. Ezekiel's at the Gabar River. And suddenly he's just standing at the river and heaven opens. And, and, and most of these situations, we're going to read Jeremiah similar. When he sees what he sees, this is what he says in Jeremiah 23 verse 9. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. And listen, to, I love this. He sees the depravity of Israel. He sees the depravity of God's people. And when he sees it, this is what he says. All my bones tremble. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Started trembling. And I am like a drunken man. Like a man overcome by wine. Because of the Lord and his holy words. Jeremiah sees God's people through God's eyes. And when he sees how bad it is, he's so overwhelmed that he starts to shake uncontrollably. He becomes one overwhelmed with wine. I want you to imagine that happened in worship with the person next to you. What would, what would you feel like if suddenly the person next to you, their, their bones start shaking? <laughs> Listen to this. I love this. There's a story of the Cane Ridge Revival Meeting. It was a Presbyterian. You know the Presbyterian church? Most, most churches were birthed in a move of God. The Presbyterians had a move of God at their beginnings. And they've somewhere lost that. But at their roots, it was a, a move of God. And there was a, a free thinker named James B. Finley who was actually an, a, a reporter. He heard about this. It's called the Cane Ridge Revival. He heard about this move of God. And as a reporter for a newspaper, an atheist free thinker, he called himself, he went to go and see what this was about so he could write an article for the newspaper. And this is what he writes, and it's beautiful. I love it. Okay, so he says, the noise, he gets it, the noise was like the roar of Niagara. That's like Niagara Falls. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. Some of the people were singing, others praying, some crying for mercy in the most piteous accents. While others were shouting vociferously. Do you understand? This is wild. While witnessing these scenes, this is an atheist freethinker, a peculiar strange sensation such as I had never felt before came over me. My heart beat tumultuously. My knees trembled. My lip quivered. And I felt as though I must fall to the ground. A strange supernatural power seemed to pervade the entire mass of mind there collected. And at one time I saw at least 500 swept down in a moment as if by a battery of a thousand machine guns. And then immediately followed shrieks and shouts that rent the heavens. I fled for the woods and wished that I'd stayed at home. <laughs> He was on the perplexed side of things. <laughs> this is a Presbyterian church. I could give you, 
when God moves, drunkenness, we've read Jeremiah, I'm like a drunken man. We heard about the book of Acts, they drank. John Wesley, the father of the Methodist church, you know the Methodist church. The Methodist church was born in a revival. And John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church, became the largest Protestant denomination in the world in his lifetime. He started it and in one lifetime, it became the largest Protestant movement on the planet. John Wesley wrote, People dropped on every side as thunderstruck. This is in the meetings. As they fell to the ground. Others with convulsions, exceeding all description. And many reported seeing visions. Some shook like a cloth in the wind. Others roared and screamed or fell face down with involuntary laughter. This is the Methodist church. I remember when God moved... This, that move of God kind of ended up also across our church. We had this move, and they were part of it. And I remember being in a meeting where the Holy Spirit fell in just power. And it was like, it looked like machine guns had opened up on different parts of the congregation. We would be worshiping, and the next minute, the presence of God would fall. And no one would even be staring at sometimes. And that whole side would just fall to the ground. Chairs, <laughs> chaos. MC, I remember... Um, Actually, it was quite funny. I'll tell you what happened. We were in worship, and it was, and then at one point, it was quite an intense, deep moment where everyone's like, no one's breathing, and, and people are, you know, there's something of the move of God. And then MC just became overwhelmed at the presence of God, my wife. And she started shouting, but shouting. Like, like everyone else is quiet. She's like, Aah! and she had, she had these clogs on. She's quite short, so she had these. Wooden clogs that I'd bought to, they're from Holland actually, these thick, thick base. They weren't clog clogs, but they were like, they had a solid wooden base on them. And she's like, Aah! and she kicks, whop, and one of the clogs flies off of her foot. And our worship leader was up front with his eyes closed. <laughs> and I remember watching in slow motion thinking, no. And I saw this clog flying at his head, and it, it literally went woof, 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 and it just missed him. Dwack on the wall behind him and fell down. And I was like, Whew. and then she kicked the second one. Whoa! It was the same story. She got so filled with the presence of God that she could not, she could not speak. She could not walk. She flopped to the ground. Literally, the presence of God was so strong. To give you an idea, when we left that meeting, our, one of our worship leaders, uh, he was a, a guitarist. Uh, see, uh, Calvin was, uh, was one of our, he was a lead guitarist, brilliant. And he had a very, very expensive guitar that he loved. It was like that guitar that he had saved up his whole life for, kind of vibe. And he was, at one point we were in worship, and he was going for it. He was my favorite guitarist. He brought the presence of God when he played. And then at one point I looked at him, and he was no longer playing his guitar. He was just standing, and the guitar had slipped around onto his back, and he was gone in the presence of God. And then, while I watched him, he became overwhelmed at the presence of God. And I remember watching him just fall onto his guitar. Bah! And I knew God was in the house. He was so touched by God. The meeting went on till about 11.30. And eventually the elders like, please guys, we just can't go home. We had to carry my wife to the car. She couldn't walk. Every time she spoke to her, she'd go, blah, 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 blah. And she couldn't speak in English. Calvin was the last finally because he was a great servant too. So he was supposed to lock the church up when everyone else finally left. So he's, he's totally drunk in the Holy Spirit. And he, he tries to lock the door. And then gets to his motorbike. His wife's gone home with the kids. And he, he gets onto his motorbike. And as he sits on his motorbike, the presence of God hits him again. And he falls over and lies on the ground with his motorbike standing. Luckily, still standing. He's got his one foot on the motorbike. And at about two in the morning, this is hours later, the alarm went off. Because he hadn't put the alarm on properly. And so one of the elders rushed to the church at two in the morning. And there lay Calvin in the middle of the night. Still God in the presence of God. <laughs> Strange things. Strange things. You know my wife? We, we got her home. And here's the thing, we'd locked up, this, Nicky Carstens, who's actually one of our elders in Cape Town now, and myself, he, we, he just got saved. So he was living with us at that time because he just got saved out of drugs and stuff. So he, we were both also feeling a little bit like really, like not in our right minds fully, but MC was gone. So when we get home, the door is locked and we've lost the key. Now it's like 12 at night when we get home. And I'm thinking it's cold, it's winter, I'm thinking we need to get inside, but 
So there's a little cat thing in, in, the, in the door, and I'll never forget. I tried to go through there, because I knew, and I couldn't. I just couldn't. So finally, Nikki, we couldn't. And I realized the only one that's going to get inside is MC. But she's too drunk to, to move. So we carried her to the hole. We had a, she was floppy, so I remember we had her like, trying to hold her straight. And then we put her down, and we started trying to push her through, but she kept bending. She couldn't keep... And finally, we got her in. I remember just her feet sticking out. And we're freezing. I'm like, open the door. And she's like, ah! <laughs> and that's actually the next point. One of the things that happens when God moves is there are often times of overwhelming, powerful emotions. And uh, in Psalm 126, verse 1, the, 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 the Jews here are, are remembering what it was like when God delivered them out of Babylon. So this psalm is written by young Jewish boys who have been in Babylon and now God is setting them free to go back to their homeland, back to build the temple. And they say this, when they realize what God had done, he said, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, back to Jerusalem, we were like men who dreamed. Isaiah prophesied this, I'm going to restore, I'm going to bring you back. When it happened, they say, we were like men who dreamed. And then it says this, um, our mouths were filled with laughter. Sometimes in the presence of God, you're so you're dreaming. And your mouths are filled with laughter. I often think John 17, 13, Jesus said, I've come that they may have the full measure of joy within them. And I've often thought, who's experienced joy before? Now, here's the thing. He has talking about a full measure, which means there are measures of joy. God might be in a meeting and he might pour out a measure of joy. You've experienced a measure. But what is the full measure of joy? When there's a full measure of joy upon you, you are not standing there going, Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. <laughs> John, here's another emotion. John, the apostle. On the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day, Sunday, the day that the Lord is raised, he's, on, he's in prison, so he can't enjoy fellowship with the church. But on the island in prison, he experiences the Lord, and he sees the Lord. He has a vision. gets taken into heaven. And he tells us, and let's read it quickly, in Revelation 5 verse 4. He, he goes into heaven, and this is, you've got to imagine this. It's the Lord's Day, and John gets taken into heaven on a Sunday meeting, basically. All by himself, but it's a Sunday meeting. And he goes into heaven and he sees every, every, all nations gathered. And there is a scroll in the front. And the question comes, one of the angels asked, who is righteous? Who is worthy to open the scroll? And John looks in the vision. He looks at all mankind and he says, there is no one. No one is worthy. And this is an overwhelming feeling for him because he realizes actually how far we fall from the glory of God. He sees it. You can know it theologically and then you can see it. And he tells us, when I saw this, and then, then, just after this, he sees the angel say, but there is one and the Lord Jesus is revealed. He is worthy. But here, John, when he sees that no one is worthy, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. That would look like this in a meeting. Somebody's next to you and the next minute heaven opens to them. And suddenly they are weeping and weeping. And you're going, what is wrong? Are you all right? And they've seen and felt something of the anguish of God as he looks at his creatures. Emotions, normally when God moves, are deeply changed. And Jonathan Edwards again said this, Listen to this. This is a revivalist in America. The great, the great, um, what's it called? The great awakening. Thank you. I went blank. It was very wonderful to see how a person's affections were sometimes moved when God did, as it were, suddenly open their eyes and let into their minds a sense of the greatness of his grace, the fullness of Christ and his readiness to save. Their joyful surprise has caused their hearts, as it were, to leap so that had they been ready to break forth in laughter, tears often at the same time issuing like a flood and intermingling a loud weeping. Sometimes they have not been able to forbear crying out with a loud voice, expressing their great admiration. 
the manner of God's work on the soul, sometimes especially, is very mysterious. Your emotions will be moved when God moves. There are supernatural visions, and Paul writes about seeing inexpressible things in 2 Corinthians um, 12 verse 4. Um, John talks about seeing Jesus and falling down as one dead. But I want to finish this with Ezekiel. And I'm going to just take you through a meeting with Ezekiel in it. So I want you to imagine we're having a time together as God's people. And Ezekiel the prophet is going to, he's going to go through what he's going to go through now. And he goes through a lot of stuff in this book. And I want us to just see it in the Bible. Because when you see it happening around you with somebody, I want you to go, this is that. Ezekiel the prophet who wrote the book of Ezekiel, is by the Kabar River. And in Ezekiel 1.28, we're just going to run through it quickly. He sees the glory of the Lord. And when I saw him, uh, okay, he's got the appearance of a rainbow and the clouds in a radiance. They say he sees God. He sees the radiance of God. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. So now you're standing next to Ezekiel and we're in worship. And suddenly the Lord opens heaven for him. And he falls down. And he's lying there on the ground. In 2 verse 1 to 2, God says to him, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I'll speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. Now what does that look like? So he's on the ground and the next minute, the Spirit comes into him and raises him somehow to his feet. And I often think of almost like, like, okay. Then 3 verse 9, sorry, 2 verse 9. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretch out to me. So now he, he's looking at something. You can't see what it is, but he's seeing it. I saw a hand stretch out to me and in it was a scroll, like a book. Okay? which he unrolled before me in verse 9. And then he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Now he's doing this. This is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing. Okay, This is the hand of God. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. You just got to imagine this happening next to you. Then he said, son of man, eat the scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Mm. Mm. And then he tells us just now, when it gets to his stomach, it suddenly gets bitter and ugly. And he's like, oh. And then he says, in 3 verse 14 to 15, then the spirit lifted me and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in anger in my spirit. So now he's like, ah, ah, ah. Okay. With the strong hand of the Lord upon me. I came to the exiles. These are other Jews that are now at Tel Abib near the Kabar River. And there, for where they were living, I sat among them for seven days overwhelmed. He comes to you. Ah, ah, and he sits there. And for seven days he doesn't move. He's just overwhelmed with the presence of God. Okay. In 3, 22 to 24, then he said to me, Arise, go forth into the plain, and there I will talk with you. So I arose and went forth into the plain. Now he's up and he's moving again. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood there as the glory by which I saw at the river Kabar. And I fell on my face. So he's back on his face again. Where am I now? Uh, have you got, you just want to give me the, I don't know where I am in my notes. Uh, oh yeah, then, then. The Spirit of God came into me. Okay. Am I verse 26? Okay. He gets raised to his feet again in verse 24. And then he says, go shut yourself inside your house. Verse 26. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth. Then you'll be silent and unable to rebuke Israel. Though they're a rebellious house. So now, his tongue is getting stuck in the roof of his mouth. How are you today? Ezekiel, I can't talk. 4 verse 4 to 6, lie on your side. 
left side and put the sin of the house of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number for the days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, you're going to lie on your left side. Then he says, then he says, <laughs> after you've finished this, lie down on your right side and bear the sins of the house of Judah. I've assigned you 40 days a day for each year. Do you understand that this is perplexing? I mean, you'd be driving demons out of this, like, let's be honest. I nearly finished. In 8 verse 3, I love this. I've often thought, what does this look like? 8 verse 3 says, He stretched out what looked like a hand. Where am I? Ezekiel 8 verse 3. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head and lifted me from the ground. And lifted me actually up to see. I mean, he is having a very strange experience with the Lord. <laughs> then in verse 11 to 13, he gets taken to some Jews again. And as I was prophesying, Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, died. So now he's in a meeting. And as he's speaking, somebody drops dead. Then I fell face down and cried out in a loud voice, Oh, sovereign Lord, basically cries out, Oh, sovereign Lord, will there be anyone left of your people if you do this? And lastly, in 12 verse 17, Tremble as you eat your food and shudder in fear as you drink your water. Why did I read that for you? Because when God moves... And again, he moves differently. Isaiah had a very different experience to this. But when God moves, it's strange and perplexing. And we don't always fully understand. But we must go back to the Bible and see, are these things in the Scriptures? And again, I'm going to finish with a quote by Jonathan Edwards. The great, they say the greatest teacher or preacher, more teacher in the history of America, one of the greatest theologians in the history of, the, of America, which is a pretty big place. He writes this, and this is a Bible teacher. He says, preaching has no effect because it causes no effect. I'm bold to assert that there was never any considerable change in the mind or conversion of any person by anything of religious nature that he had ever read, heard, or saw who had not had his affections moved. When the spirit of power stirs up our spiritual affections, such unutterable and glorious joys may be too great and mighty for the weak dust and ashes of our bodies. The discoveries of God's glory, when given in a great degree, have a tendency by affecting the mind to overbear the body. In other words, think about it. When you were born again, was it an intellectual thing or was something of your affection moved? When you realized that you were forgiven of your sin, was it, was it just words, Christ has died for your sin? Or did you see that Christ had died for your sins? Did you have a deep sense of anguish as the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin and you began to be moved? Preaching can, can open that, but preaching by itself doesn't do that. It is a move of the Spirit of God and your affections are moved. So I would... I... I'm one who you know, I mean, I think you know me well enough to know I'm running flat out in the things of God. And I thought the Lord say this to me, actually. Andrew, um, don't get in the way of what I want to do. I thought the Lord even rebuked me a little bit. He said, Andrew, sometimes you've grown uncomfortable and you've kind of, in your spirit, you've closed things. And he says, you've got to open your heart. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus knocks and we have to hear and open the door. In other words, if we don't open the door. And I want to say this. I don't know what God wants to do. But I know God wants to do something. I don't want to predict or try and create a moment or a meeting where, okay, let's all, like, all I, I want to tell you is this. I feel like there is something of a move of a river coming. The river is going to get deeper. We're already in a river. To see the growth and the life we have is something of a move of God. But I feel like God wants to take it deeper. And I feel like I want to prepare you now for that. So that when you see it, 
you have a theology for it and go, this is that. This is that. And I don't know what it'll look like. I don't think it's going to look like the last move of God. I just have a sense that God is stirring to move. And I, I often think if Pentecost was knee deep, what is a river that no man can cross? What is a river that no man can cross? So just in this moment, why don't you stand with me? And again, I'm not, I don't want to manufacture. I'm not expecting God to move tonight. But at the same time, He's God. Let's just pray together. And I feel like we need to do something. I feel like Jesus speaks about knocking. And if you hear the knock, will you open the door? Will you open the door? Will you say, yes, Lord, you, you can do what you want to do. And I feel like as a community, as a congregation, his body, we need to open the door and say, Lord, do whatever you want to do. Even if we are amazed or perplexed, save us from mocking, Lord. Keep us from mocking. But Lord, do what you want to do. And so just before you, Lord, we stand before you now. We come in to your presence through, through the grace of your son, Jesus. The doorway into your presence is wide open. And we come in, Father, through the grace of your Son. And Lord, we want to just in your presence say, Lord, would you have your way in us? Would you do whatever it is you want to do in us? We have a sense, Lord, that you are wanting to move upon our homes, upon our families, upon our meetings. There's just a greater sense of your presence. And so, Father, we want to ask you to just have your way. We ask you, Lord, even as you, you spoke about a river that would flow from the throne, down the east side of the temple, down towards the Dead Sea itself, the worst, most dead place, the place that no life can come. And yet your river brings life to even that place. Would you, in your day of favor, Lord, just come and move and breathe life into us. Deliver, set free. Let barren wastelands be filled with the life of God. Lord, would you come and have your way? Let's just wait on him for a moment, a little bit more. And again, I don't at all want to manufacture anything. This morning we had a move of God. I don't want to try and remanufacture it or measure the meeting based upon what happens here. I just feel God told me, prepare the way. Prepare the way. And I had a, a, a distinct impression this morning of the Lord wanting to plow the ground because the rain is coming. And a farmer, when he knows the rain's coming, he begins to plow the ground and remove the rocks and the obstacles out of the way. Because when the rain comes, the seed must be in the ground. The word must be in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray even as the word has been sown, as the, as the plow of your word has plowed the ground of our understanding, would you put the seed of your word into us, that as the spirit falls, when it falls, when the rain comes, that Lord, there would be a bursting forth, streams in wasteland places. In the day of your favor, let the blind see, let the deaf hear, let the cripple leap with joy at the powerful hand of God, the mighty hand of God. Lord, and I do ask that you would move our affections. That our faith would not just be rest in, in our understanding and our intellect. But that, Lord, you would touch our very heart, our very emotions as much as you touch our intellect. That, Lord, we would be just more and more overwhelmed at the presence of the living God. The one who was there with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The one who spoke and it was. Who's here with us right now. And Father, I pray even for a revelation of your bigness of your greatness, of your power, Lord. Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Just wait on him a little bit. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Your presence, God. In your presence is fullness of joy. Life forevermore. Your presence, God. Your presence, God. Worship you. Worship you.
Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Father. Be glorified through your church, God. Glorify your name in all the earth. Father, let the nations tremble before you. As you move in power upon your people, God. As you stir them up and awaken them from the sleep, Lord. Move in power, God. Let your glory fall. Let your glory fill the house, God. We read in the Bible about times the priests not being able to minister because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You fill the house, Lord. Fill the house. And I want to say this. When God moves, don't worry about the person next to you. Don't get distracted. Don't compare. Your father knows how to give good gifts to his children. I went through two years and the Lord knew what he was doing. The Lord knows what he knows. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Father. Worship you, Father. Worship you. Just set your heart on him. Set your affections on the Lord. Worship you, God. You are great, God. You are great. Lord, I feel like we need to see you over the problems in our nation, over the government and over the things that cause us to lose our joy, to see our Lord, to see our God who is mighty and able to save. Father, I pray that you would lift our eyes to see you as you really are. The one who removes kings at a whim, Lord. The great God. The great God. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. I don't know if the worship team want to come up. Yeah. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, God. Worship you, God. Jesus. I have a sense, and I had a sense this morning as well. In one of the moves of God in history was in the prophet Elijah. There'd been a drought in the land for many, many years. No rain had fallen, and then God moved. And Elijah saw, which servant actually saw a cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. And when he saw the cloud, he knew God was about to move. And he kind of said to the king, you better move. The Lord's about to move. I feel like even this morning or this evening, I feel like even if the Lord begins to give us a little cloud of what he wants to do. But I feel there is a storm coming of the presence of God.